awesome day to be in the house of God. I wanted you to say a spiritual word this morning. I couldn't hardly stand myself while they were, while we were singing. Man, I'm just telling you, praise going up. And I heard a few folks clapping, and I heard one word that came out from someplace, and it just said, they said, well, glory. Have you ever just said, well, glory? Don't you like that word? Who are we here to glorify, folks? Jesus Christ, the one we were just singing of, name above all names. And I want you to say that. I want you to say, well, glory. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Now, you might get into that if you just try it. You guys who are, you know, if you like to watch a ball game, how many were for Georgia yesterday? They started out good, didn't they? How many were for LSU? How many didn't even care? That's about most of us. All right. I want to, uh, I want to start out this morning by putting some of you at ease. I had about three or four people last Sunday morning say to me, Pastor, don't get so excited. You scared me to death last Sunday. I thought you was going to have a heart attack. I want to remind you of something. My heart is the youngest part of my body. <laughs> Don't ever forget it, okay? <laughs> So, everything's good, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't even know when I get excited. They said, boy, you're excited. I said, what? I mean, I don't even know it. It's just so exciting to be able to present the Word of God. And if I do it with passion, just let me go, because we have a great Savior. Amen? And we're here to worship Him, and we want Him to be high and lifted up. If you have your Bibles and you turn to Luke chapter 2, I'm just going to kind of start this month out by us remembering again the great story. And then I want to go into this message for today, and it's called the magnet of the manger. I want to talk about those people who came from all different places and all different classes, and and they all wound up at the manger some 2,000 years ago and to see the child. It says in chapter 2, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, need to underline that, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in what? Swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I have good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes. Where? Lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
goodwill toward men. And he came to pass, the angels were gone away from then into heaven. The, he- the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. What a great story. A life-changing story. A historical story. This Christmas, I want us to kind of gather around the manger of Bethlehem. I asked one of our guys to bring something that we use today as a symbol of the manger. This manger you'll see is wrapped and so it's very nice. I will describe in a little while what the manger of the day of Jesus was actually like. And what was significant about it, not only at that moment, but in years to come. The angel had announced to the shepherds that his, a Savior had been born in Bethlehem and that they would find him lying in a manger. Who is this one? Born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a lowly manger. What does his birth mean to the earth? What does it mean to heaven? What does it mean to you? The baby lying in the manger represents the greatest story ever told, the greatest love ever expressed, and the latest gift and greatest gift ever given. I want to talk to you today about this subject. You may want to make some notes if you find anything worthwhile and take it home and think about it because I'm going to move a little bit rapidly today. Not because I want to, but because I'm hungry and I'm going to be, no, I'm serious. (laughs) But the magnet of the manger says it so, it. so they came to Bethlehem and to the manger. I sat down the other night and wrote this introduction to the message today. Was their coming to Bethlehem just a twist of fate or was it God's plan? To the eyes of man, there was no mystery here. Caesar Augustus had made a decree. Go to the city of your lineage and pay your taxes. So they naturally came to Bethlehem because they were of the tribe of Judah And of the lineage of David, everyone was there. No exceptions. What a crowd. Even if it was just family, there was no room left in the inn or maybe inns. Why were so many there? Well, do you remember King David, for whom the city is named? And do you remember Solomon, his son? Solomon alone had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Talk about a family reunion. But more was happening than just the collection of taxes. This event had been planned before Adam and Eve were created, before Abraham was called, before Moses was commissioned, before David was conceived. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, God had made a plan to bring a Savior to this world. And here he was lying in a manger at the right place and at the right time. It is noteworthy that no one came to the manger of Jesus by accident. Everyone who came did so because of a great inner magnet that drew them to leave where they were and to come to the manger. Each one who came had to make a sacrificial journey to get there. 
The contrast of this crowd is unmatched. The most educated and the least educated gaze on the same child. The most powerful and the least powerful are shaken by his coming. The scene is being watched not only in earthly wonder, but heaven and hell are completely focused on this visitor. The star, the straw, the swaddling clothes, the sheep, the stable, all symbolize the gathering of both the natural world and the supernatural world. Because in all the universe, there is not one exempt from the impact of this magnet of destiny. He created the universe with nothing but a word and controls this universe by his own power, now lays totally dependent on his virgin mother and his earthly stepfather. He is now subject to all the laws of nature which he himself created and the evil powers which he himself had enthroned. The same powers that will soon breathe, bring the evil accusations, dig the hole and set his undeserved cross, place a plaited crown of thorns on his innocent head and hammer the spikes into his gentle healing hands. They will thrust the spear into his tender side and watch with mocking disdain as he pays the price for the sins of the very ones who pound the nails. Each one was drawn by a different inner magnet, motivated by different inner purpose. Who were these who came? What led them coming to such an important and eternal event? I want us to look at the crowd. First of all, I'd like to declare to you that God was there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was all over that place. Because this was a God thing that was happening. Could not have been engineered or made by man. It was a God thing. It was a heavenly journey. Everyone in heaven was represented. Think about it. The Father was represented as the giver. The most expensive gift ever given was when God the Father delivered his son up for us all. Isn't that amazing? Christ was there. He was the gift. The perfect gift for all who were received. The Holy Spirit was there. The glory, they said. They said, and the glory of God was upon the angels as they spoke and sang and told the good news. His glory never grows old or never fades. When gold has rotted away and disintegrated, the glory of God that was around the manger will still be his effulgent glory. The Holy Spirit was there. The angels were there. Representative of all the heavenly beings who had followed God. The governing host of heaven. I want to give you a word of encouragement. Y'all remember that God had created angels, right? Heaven was filled with angels. They all had assignments. Every angel had an assignment. Lucifer was the son of the morning. Lucifer sat over the throne of God and led the worship of all those but jealousy got into his heart 
began to sow discord among those heavenly beings called angels. And he went among them and tried to get them to rebel against the very God who created them. How many know what percentage of angels followed him? One third. Y'all know what? That leaves us two thirds. So don't ever be discouraged. God's angels who are assigned to us still outnumber the angels that followed the devil. Hallelujah. And the worship of God is now open to all of us so that we can lift him up high and lift it up. Man, that's amazing to me. We're on the right side. Everybody in heaven was represented at the manger. It was heavenly journey. It was also a historic journey. It's historic in its design. It all started because God wanted a relationship. The Bible says before there was anything except God, God sat down and laid a plan for him to have a, I, this is almost too deep for me to, to understand. God laid a plan so he could have a relationship with you. I want to ask you a question. How many believe God knew you were going to be born before he formed the earth? How many believe that? That's what the Bible teaches. How many believe that God knew before any of us were born that we'd be in this service on this day and God said, I want to meet you there? How many believe that? Isn't that awesome? This very event was designed by God before the world was made. You say, Pastor, what drew the Father and the Son, what was the magnet that drew them to the manger? The magnet that drew them was the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And it was a magnet of love for you and me that drew us. Not only was it historic in its design, it was historic in its deployment. From the moment the stars were created, it began. God was deploying a plan to bring his Son to redeem the earth. It was Historic in its destiny. How many believe that God knew what the outcome was going to be from the beginning? Believe that? God says, I know the end from the beginning. Have, it, have you ever, anybody here ever gone through a tough time in your life? Anybody ever gone through a tough time? I, I ought to ask this. Anybody here never gone through a tough time, please stand up. I'd like to see you. I'd like to shake your hand. I'd like to meet you and find out what you're eating. But anyway, is it encouraging to us to know God said himself, look, I know how this is going to end up before it ever starts. Isn't that amazing? In its deployment, in its destiny, and God looked upon man, he looked upon the earth, he looked upon the stars, he looked upon all creation, he looked upon everything. And before anything was ever started, he saw the end before he ever spoke it into existence. This was a time where God and man met together around a little manger. And God was speaking of this moment when he said in Isaiah chapter 40, encouraging them. You know that Isaiah is the mirror book of the Bible. 66 chapters. Old Testament 39. New Testament 27. And on the 40th book, he starts it out by saying, 
Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, thus saith the Lord, for your warfare is accomplished hundreds of years before Christ was born. Do you know what he was looking at, folks? He was looking at a little old baby in the manger that the devil had tried to absolutely keep from being born. And he looked down there and he said, Isaiah, write this down. Take comfort in knowing that I know the end from what? The beginning. The second group of people who were there, his family came. Isn't it wonderful when you can worship together as your family? We got some people in racing, and I think it's about over. And Tim had told me a couple of weeks ago, I sure am looking forward to get back to church. I have to travel every weekend somewhere. Some of y'all go out of town just to get away from church, but most of you like coming. But his family was there. I'm thankful that I have an earthly family. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. And I thank God I have a spiritual family. And I'm thankful when I can't get to my earthly family, I can get to my spiritual family. And I've had people in this very church tell me, Pastor, truth be known, my spiritual family is closer to me than my earthly family. Isn't that precious? It's precious that when those major, magnificent moments of time, we can gather together. And there they were. A family. Their magnet of motivation for Mary and Joseph and those who may have come with them, the family, it was a family reunion, was faith. Faith in the Word of God. Nine months before this time in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angels came to this little virgin girl. And said, you're going to bear a son. And she says, me? I believe you, God, because you sent it. But I must also not only believe your word, I have to believe your work. She asked this question. How can this thing be? Luke chapter 1 verse 34 says, How can this thing be, seeing I know not a man? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall show you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ladies and gentlemen, we not only need to trust the word of God, we need to trust the work of God. If God tells us something, I don't have to know how he's going to work it out. I just have to know he said it. And I have to believe that if he said it, he knows how to work it out. We have to believe in the word. We have to believe in the work of God. And that's what she did. And they did. Faith in the ways of God. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And they believed and had faith in the wisdom of God. This blows my mind. Luke chapter 1 verse 38 says, her response, 
And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to what thou hast said. Translate that into today. Do you think in that day that she was subject to great harassment because she became pregnant before she was married? What do you think? You think she was the scandal of the town? What did they do to someone in those days before the city when they were found to be adulterous? They stoned them. For some reason, God protected this girl. And she, like Jesus, this, this, watch it. She, like Jesus, said, God, is this what you've called me to do? Uh, yes, it is. Then, Lord, I'm going to paraphrase. Then, God, take me on this journey. If you'll go with me, I'll go all the way with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is faith. I don't think any word spoken in the Bible reveals human faith any more than the words of Mary when she accepted the assignment that God had given her. No wonder God chose Joseph and Mary to be their earthly father and mother. Number three, the shepherds came. (laughs) I like this bunch. Gabriel and the heavenly host. Chapter 2 and verse 6 through 16. We just read it a few moments ago. Their magnet was, we bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Don't you like to go tell somebody good news? I mean, really. I mean, if you know something that will definitely, completely change a person's life. And you can go and look at them in the eyes and say, I have good news for you. Man, I've had the privilege of that happening lots of times in my life. While I was thinking about this, moments raced through my mind. Accident had happened. The word was that the person involved in the accident was not going to make it. And I was at the hospital when the doctor came out and he said, the injuries that we thought were going to be life-threatening and maybe life-taking are not nearly as serious. I want you to go in and tell the family that everything's going to be all right. And in probably three or four days, they'll be able to take their loved one home. How do you think I felt when I got to go back there and sit down in that room? Come on. Operation on cancer. Good news. The greatest news ever given. The angel said, oh, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The listener didn't even have any idea what was going on. But the heavenly hosts were saying, Whoo! we've been waiting for this moment. Ever since the birth of Adam, before the birth of Adam, We knew as the heavenly host, we knew as God's governing body that one day, hallelujah, he would send his son and his son would be here to redeem the earth. Hallelujah. 
It was a holy messenger who came and said these words. The angel of the Lord. I personally believe it was Gabriel. He was always the messenger. Michael was always the warrior. When Daniel prayed and the devil came to try to keep God's message from getting there. Michael finally got to him and he said, I heard your, message, your prayer the first time you got it and I've been going, but I've been doing battle with the devil on your behalf. Thank God we have that somebody like that. Warren Force, right? The angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. I want to take your mind to that word, glory of the Lord. You know what that Greek word there is? Doxa. It's where we get our word doxology. You ever heard of the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Well, that's a pretty staid doxology. This morning I had a little doxa going on inside me when we were singing Jesus Messiah. I was trying to behave down there. Y'all saw me. Choir saw me. Sun inside me. I was wanting to dance and jump. Why? Doxology for him. Praise for him. It literally means, doxa means glory, honor, praise, and worship. It was a heavenly message. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And he said, behold, I bring you a heavenly message. Holy message. Heavenly message. There was also in that, that I think this is really important. There was in that, a humble manger was the focal point of their praise. Their announcement. I want you to listen carefully. This is fresh. This is some new research. This is one of those moments in my study where I have to get up and walk around the desk two or three times just to settle myself down. I began to study about the mangers of the day of Jesus. If you remember, it said you will find a babe wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes, lying where? In a manger. A humble manger in that day was usually made of stone. It was three feet long, approximately two feet wide, and approximately two feet deep. It was the place that the fodder, the straw, the hay, the food for the animals was laid. Stone. You see, the humble manger shows the lowest common denominator. There may have been other babies born, laid in a manger, born in a cave or a stable, in the hillside of Bethlehem. But very few like this one. I've had people tell me, nobody understands my background, preacher. You don't understand what I was, what kind of situation I was born into. I said, I don't have to. Jesus does. Jesus does. Lowest common 
denominator laid in that stone cradle, manger, wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes. The word for swaddling is spargano. Do you know what that means? It means strips of cloth. I've always in my mind pictured a blanket or maybe something like that. Not so. In fact, in those days, the mothers would take a newborn babe and wrap their arms so their arms would be warm, number one, and number two, they would be formed straight. Like you'd put a little plastic thing on them maybe now or whatever. Or some kind of elastic. They'd wrap their arms, they'd wrap their little legs, they'd wrap their body. She wrapped her little baby all up in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Stone manger. They must have looked like a mummy. That's what I had in my mind. Have you ever seen a, in Egypt or whatever, when they have that? Looks like a mummy. My mind raced about 33 years down the road. This was not the last time this mother would see her baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a stone grave. The second time would be after his crucifixion. Can you imagine that? The cross and the death of Christ was represented at his very birth. But ladies and gentlemen, he did not stay in that stone manger, did he? He got up. The swaddling clothes came off. A robe went on him. And what did he do with his life after he came out of that stone manger? He went about healing people, touching people, raising the dead, encouraging people, giving the word of God. And I submit to you this morning that when he came out of that stone grave and they, took, they saw that the clothes were still laying on the place. I've been there. I believe that the Gordon's tomb, I believe, David, that's probably where he was. And you've been over there. And I really believe it's where it was because of its location, because of the door, because of all that. I'll never forget the first time I made it. And I walked in there and I saw that little metal, uh, that little rock slab where he would have been. And they rushed in and they looked. And he wasn't there. But the grave clothes, listen to me, the swaddling clothes were still in their wrapped order. There just wasn't anything inside them. The wrappings were intact. But they had no body and the napkin that was over his face still was on the body. He was gone. And I believe with all my heart that as he ministered to them after his coming out of the manger that he is still doing the same thing today in our lives in his resurrected body, 
He's still healing the sick. He's still comforting those who are hurting. He's still waiting for the reunion. And one of these days, I am going to see him, thank God, face to face. Amen. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Let's give him praise. When, I, when we came out of the door of that little cave, hadn't noticed it coming in, but we turned around and the door was open and it says on the door, he is not here. He is risen, as he said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last group of people mentioned here are the wise men who came. They came two years later. They came to the same baby, but not to the same box or the same manger. Their motivation was worship. Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is what 10 and 11 says. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they uh, were come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened the tre- their treasures, they presented them to have gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Hallelujah. Expensive gifts. Elaborate gifts. This kind of worship takes four steps to attain it, I believe. Number one, they searched the scriptures. When they were confronted by the king, they said, tell us why you've come here and why did you come to Bethlehem? This is their reply. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets that thou, Bethlehem, Judah, out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule over Israel. They found that by studying the word of God. Secondly, you have, to re- you have to recognize the signs of God in your life. You know what I think is a good thing for us to do? Look for signs of God's being with us. Look for the hand of God that works with us. Look for his presence. This sign, they said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced in the newborn babe. The angel said, this will be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe. Their sign was the babe in a manger. The wise men's sign was the star in the sky. But I believe with all my heart, God's got a sign for every one of us to draw him to us to him if we'll follow that star in our life. Recognize the sign. Make the sacrifice. Two years. And three elaborate gifts. Wow. They brought what? What were the, what were, what were the, let's say them again. Everybody needs to know this and remember it. They brought what? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. I said again. They brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. You may ask the question, why gold? Gold was the gift for royalty. Gold was the gift for kings. When the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon, she brought him trailer loads of gold. If you'd like to see how gold was accumulated in the old days, go read in the book of Chronicles where David is preparing for the temple and he gave about 93 billion. 
billion dollars worth of gold out of his own treasure that had been given to him. Gold is for the king. They brought gold. And in giving that, they said, you, this baby, this one lying here will be the highest king ever. They brought frankincense. Frankincense is that odor, that anointing, that oil of frankincense that the priest took to the altar of God and spread it around. And in saying frankincense, they say you're not only the greatest king who'll ever live, you're the greatest priest who will ever live. And you will bring our burdens to our God. They bowed down to him. And they brought myrrh. Gold. Frankincense. Gold king. Frankincense high priest. Myrrh. Why myrrh, pastor? Because myrrh the very expensive perfume for anointing the body at death. They said, you'll not only be the highest and most important king that ever lived, you'll also be the highest and most important priest that will ever live. But you will be, little boy, two years old, little toddler, these wise men, these kings of these came and bowed before him and said, you will die the greatest death that will ever be given you will be the gift that will be the greatest gift ever given we have found it in the word of God you not only need to search the scripture to worship like that recognize the sign to worship like that make a sacrifice to worship like that you need to embrace the savior as they did they were saying you child will be our king. They saw the young child, they fell down and worshipped him. That's not submission. That's not doing obeisance. That is elevate. Worship belongs to who, folks? Worship belongs to God. Let's say it. Worship belongs to who? God. Is there anything else in this world I should worship? Yes or no? My worship belongs to who? God, only being in the universe worth worshiping, only being in the universe who deserves our worship is our God. And these men who had come from so far, brought two years in traveling, bought the most expensive and meaningful gifts they could, looked at a two-year-old boy, and they fell down and they worshipped him they embraced their savior and I say to you if you really want to experience worship in your heart know what the Bible says know what God's plan is but embrace your savior and love him and that ladies and gentlemen will bring us to worship 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 that will be so noted in heaven that God wrote it in his eternal book they saw him face to face they saw him as the God man they saw him as the savior of the world 
Shepherds and kings, angels and men, stars, moons, and the universe are drawn to him. And he's still drawing you and me to come and to see and worship the Savior who is the King of glory. I read a story. God's always ahead of us. It was simply titled, What is the Biggest News of All? It's a story that I found in some of John Swindoll's stuff. Take the year 1809. The international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flowing like water on the battlefields. Nobody then cared about babies being born. But the world was overlooking some incredible and significant events. For example, William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's greatest leaders. That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. The child would one day greatly affect the literary world. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic life. It was also in that year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles. That same year also produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. And that baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. If there had been news broadcast at that time, I'm certain these words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on the Austrian battlefield today. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. Similarly, everyone thought taxation was the big news when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all. The birth of the Savior of the world wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lying in a stone manger. God's gift to you. And I believe... That's the big news for today. That's God's good news.